Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Tomorrow is Yom Kippur. And uh, that is the, the, the Jewish festival, uh, the holiest day of the year where there's uh, the atonement for our sins. And uh, I want to continue on in the vein that we were looking at last week. Uh, last week marked the Jewish New Year. We talked about how in Genesis, I want to say it's verse 116, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, and God set the moon, this is a paraphrase, God set the moon and the, the sun to, he set a light in the sky, is literally how it says it, to govern the day and the night. And that word govern in Hebrew means to exercise dominion. It, it exercises dominion over the day and night. In other words, God set the planetary bodies in orbit, and by their orbit, by, their, by the, the orbit that God himself set, we mark our hours, our days, our weeks, our months, and our years. And so in so doing, then we are able to measure out our days. I was talking to David V. this morning, and, and he, he quoted a verse to me that I was studying yesterday, and in the psalm it said, O Lord, Teach us to, and, and this was Moses, teach us to number our days that we may have wisdom. That's a paraphrase too, but he's saying that, God, one of the, one of the marks of a wise person is that we cooperate with the system, the solar system that God set up that enables us to measure out our days, so that we can be wise. It's really what Paul was saying in Ephesians when he said, the time is short. Don't be a fool. Know the will of the Lord. And Paul, like Moses, connects time and wisdom. And Paul adds this thing of knowing the will of the Lord. Then we talked about how that verse in Chronicles where it says, the sons of Isaacar, they knew the times and therefore knew what they should do. So God operates in segments of time, so much so that Paul preached this. He said, God hath chosen the times and the places in which men should live. Two of the parameters or two of the boundary lines of your existence Two of the boundary lines of your calling, the allocation that God gave to you in human history. Two of the boundary lines are your generation in which you live and the location in which you live. Because your calling is connected to both. Your calling is connected to the location. You need to know, what is, what is the word of the Lord? What is God's will for the place in which I live? I, I ended up, uh, I, we had a service Monday night here and I uh, preached to a bunch of preachers. It's a, a, a network that was started by my childhood pastor, and we let them meet here once a year just out of honor for the input he put into my family's life. And, and so they asked me to be the speaker, and I was talking about this very thing that we need to discern the purpose of God over a region. 
that God has purposes over places. There are resources in the spirit over locations. Many of you have heard it, me uh, referring to this encounter that I had with God a number of years ago. I want to say it was 2010, and I was so frustrated, I yelled out in a prayer meeting. I don't know what everybody else thought, but it was a Friday night prayer meeting, and I just yelled, and I said, God, I can't shadow box anymore. I felt like I was being sucker punched. I, I, I felt like I was fighting this invisible force, and I was. And I was groping about in the dark and I'd get hit by things and we were facing things as a church I didn't understand. And that night I immediately went into a vision and the next morning God spoke something very clear to me. And being the sharp, discerning pastor that I was, it took me about eight months to figure out that that vision and that word the next morning were connected. Pray for your pastor. But at that vision, what happened is as, as, I was, as I was praying and I said that to the Lord, I was right over here and all of a sudden, I went into a vision, I saw this beautiful rolling landscape, this beautiful green rolling plain and I saw above it was this beautiful azure sky as far as the eye could see, it was gorgeous. And all of a sudden, I could see that behind the sky, in the spiritual dimension, there were these giant they looked like bubbles or orbs. They were giant spheres that were interconnected. They were 30, 40 feet around. And they were all interconnected. And I looked at them and I could see that there were actually resources in these spheres. And I saw wisdom in some of these spheres. I saw inventive wisdom. I saw financial wisdom in some of these spheres. I saw uh, the, a prophetic sphere, and the Lord said one thing to me, and this is all he said, and the rest I just seen, and you know how it is when the Lord speaks to you. It's like a compressed computer file. You get the download, and it keeps expanding, you know, over the next few days. It's starting to take up a lot of your hard drive, you know. The one thing he said to me was, every realm has a gate, and I knew he was speaking of these spheres. These spheres were realms, and there were prophetic realms. There were he I saw healing realms, and I knew intuitively, he didn't have to tell me, but I knew they were connected to the land beneath. And so over Iowa, I saw two distinct things. I saw inventive realms over Iowa. There are inventions that are supposed to come out of Iowa. And I saw prophetic realms over Iowa. But here was the thing. These, these realms, these spheres were interconnected. And you could stand in a prophetic realm and reach in and operate in healing. Even though you weren't really operating in healing, you were operating in the prophetic, but you could access healing through the prophetic. Or you could stand in a wisdom realm and access financial strategies from heaven. I'm, there need to be an amen on that one. If you can enter into a, a wisdom realm, you can access finances in the kingdom. And so, boom, as quickly as it was there, it was over, and I was thinking, I'm still frustrated. I don't know what that had to do with me being sucker punched. But I, I didn't know what it meant. So the next morning, at the, the 
prayer meeting went to about midnight, so I went home, went to bed. I'm not that spiritual. I looked up the verses later. I got up Saturday morning, opened my laptop, and punched into my concordance realms, and lo and behold, five verses popped up, the first of which was Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Now, ironically, I had memorized that passage years ago, but never understood it till I saw that vision. And here's what the verse says. God hath blessed us, I'm quoting the King James, God hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly realms in Christ. Those realms contain blessings, resources, deposits that are reserved for the inhabitants of that region. But we have to go and we have to take those things. We have to mine those out. And what the Lord told me is every realm has a gate and there is a battle at the gate of every realm. And God wants to invite us in to our inheritance. But there's a battle for the realm and then there's a battle you fight after the battle you run. One, because in Ephesians chapter one it says God has given us those resources, those blessings in heavenly realms. But chapter six tells us there are occupants For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly realms in Christ. So the enemy has hijacked our spiritual inheritance. Those rulers were delegated to be able to release those resources on God's people, but they've gone rogue. And so we are to displace those. There's a wrestling to access these spiritual blessings. Now, that is a whole lot of stuff to say this. Those realms are connected to the regions below. In Daniel, it, Daniel was praying on a 21-day fast. Anybody relate with that today? This is the last day. Glory to God. Daniel was praying on a 21-day fast. When the angel arrived, he said, I would have been here sooner. I left the day you began to pray. I headed towards you. But there was a battle. I engaged the prince of Persia. Where was Daniel at? He was in Persia. There was a principality over the location that Daniel was living in that was trying to keep him from getting the breakthrough that God had sent him. And Daniel had to remain in prayer and fasting until he received the breakthrough. And we need to understand this, that the the delay was not on God's end. God wasn't reticent. God wasn't delaying. God wasn't like, ah, I need a little more prayer out of you before I'm going to send your answer. You got to convince me you're sincere. The angel stated, the day you began to fast, I headed towards you. The resistance was in the spiritual realm, these principalities and powers. And so as Daniel prayed, God sent further aid in the form of Michael, and the angel broke through and delivered the answer and they, the, the resources that Daniel needed. So why was it that this angel was referred to as the prince of Persia? Because the, even though he resided in the second heavens, according to Paul, in heavenly realms, plural, he was occupying realms above Persia, his title was still designated by the region over which he held sway. Therefore, these realms and regions are together. So when God calls you into a region, when God assigns you a place, 
There is a sense in which every one of us were intended to be sent ones from heaven. The word apostle means you're a sent one. That's literally what the, verse, the word means, the etymology of it. Now there's more behind that. But in a very real sense, the entire church is to be a prophetic, I mean an apostolic people. We're all to be sent. We are to be flexible and say, Jesus, you send me where you want me. Now, God will often use a job promotion. God will use family situations to call you from a place. But don't just assume, hear from the Lord. Because we need to be where God calls us. Because there's an inheritance for us in that place. Both in the land and in the spirit. And so, when, when I say that your calling, who you are called to be, is connected to a location, but it's also connected to a generation. Paul said, God chose the times and places in which you should live. It's not a mistake you live in this hour of human history. Some of you have wished over the last couple of years, Lord, I wish you could have popped me in a little sooner or later. I didn't want to go through 2020. But the fact is, you and I were custom made for this season. And what's coming? The storms on the horizon, we were made for this. I'm serious, and you need to know that. There needs to be a holy resolve in your spirit that I was made for this hour in human history. The challenges that are before us, we have what it takes to face what's coming and to release the kingdom on what's coming. And so the times and locations. And so, but it's not just a generation, a block of time. Your days are numbered. There, the book about you was already written. So our days are numbered, and, it, and we need to number our days, and we need to be in tune with what God is saying. I'll never forget it, Pastor Bob Phillips. Many of you remember Pastor Bob. When I, we had a, a funeral for him here, and then they had a big celebration down in Houston where a lot of the global figures came and to celebrate Bob's life. He had a tremendous reach throughout his life. And a lady approached me, and she said, you know, I, I told Bob... I shared some things about his, you know, things on the horizon. I've been noticing about his family. There's some good things coming for him. And, and Bob said, I won't live to see that. And she said, oh, come on, Bob. He said, no, I'm telling you, I won't live to see that. And the Lord had told Bob his, he was going to leave. He's going to leave planet Earth. You see, when we understand the end of our life, when we begin to number our days, we begin to be much more intentional about how we steward time. We've talked about this before, about how God imposes limitations on our life. There's limits to our time. There's limits to our strength. I've had conversations with the Lord. I've said, Lord, you know, if you would have made me with that I didn't need sleep, I could get a lot more done. Man, I could burn strong for 24 hours a day. I used to think I could do that anyway, and I don't think that anymore. I, I got it, you know, I, man, come about 2, 3 o'clock in the, in the afternoon, I get up early, man, I'm like, nap time, you know, I've got to get some coffee. I've talked to, you know, Lord, why? Why the limitation on our strength? Why do we need food? Man, it, it, life would be a lot more convenient if I didn't desire food and didn't need it. Why the limitation on our finances? Why the limitation on time? Because limitation 
demands of us stewardship. We, if we had unlimited finances, unlimited time, unlimited strength, if we had those things, we wouldn't have to steward anything. Stewardship is the allocation of limited resources according to an internal value system. Let me say it again. Stewardship is the allocation of limited resources according to an internal value system. In other words, the way you spend your time, your money, the way you spend your life is a reflection of an internal value system. It reveals your heart. And so because of limitation, we can look at those things and we can evaluate, okay, how can I leverage this for the most amount of good? When we number our days, when we have eternity stamped on our eyes, when we begin to realize I have a limited amount of time on earth, I don't want to be a fool like Paul said. I want to leverage what I have left. I woke up yesterday with this this feeling of just uh, almost, not panic, but just urgency and sobriety. And I I woke up saying these words, Lord, in the last third of my life. Lord, in the last third of my life. Well, I'm 58, so you do the math. I mean, that'd be a decent age. I'd like a little more than that. I don't know if I was tapping into what God's will for me, but I tell you what, there's an urgency in my heart. I want to burn the last third of my life. I want to count things. I want to, I want to make better use of my time. I want God to rescue me from silly distractions. I want to be able to say, Lord, I want to say this morning on the edge of what we're stepping into, God, I lay before you the last third of my life. Take it. Help me in the fear of the Lord to steward it well. Young people, it, it, it takes a miracle from God. It really does. It, neurologists and, and uh, brain experts talk about how the brain of an adolescent, the brain of the young, really doesn't have the capacity to make those long-term decisions without an intervention of God and beginning to live from wisdom. The, when Paul says, don't be a fool, the opposite of foolishness in Scripture is obvious. You read the Proverbs. The opposite, the alternative, is what the Bible calls wisdom. What is wisdom from a biblical perspective? From a biblical perspective, wisdom is making present decisions in light of the future consequences of those decisions, the long-term consequences of those decisions. And biblically speaking, foolishness, being a fool, is the guy who says this. You've heard this phrase, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What he's saying is, we don't know if we have tomorrow. Why live for tomorrow? Why be responsible and, and prepare for the future? I might not be alive in the future. Let's just have fun in the moment which leads to being homeless. <laughs> I mean, we, need, we need to be wise. And so wisdom weighs our options based on the long-term consequences. If I do this, this will happen. That's why when Scripture says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is understanding that God is the rewarder of those who make right decisions. He will Honor 
your responsible decisions. There is the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. But there's also a Lord of the harvest who is enforcing the laws of the harvest. And so we cannot afford to be a fool. We need to know what the will of the Lord is. And we need to number our days, keep that in mind, and realize we have a limited amount of time. Okay, so I'm praying this morning that God would give us the fear of the Lord and there would be an urgency that would begin to enter in. If you read the psalm that Moses, and and I'm sorry, but I can't think of it. I was just reading it yesterday. I can't think of the passage. Someone can yell it out if they remember it. Where Moses says that, he said, what's that? Psalm 90 verse 1. Verse 12. I was going to say, it's not 1. I knew that. Verse 12. Okay, thank you. Psalm 90 verse 12. And throughout that passage, he talks about the fear of the Lord. So these components of having the fear of the Lord, understanding we have a limited amount of time, suddenly converge and we begin to live a very focused, intentional life. We become wise with our life. And I'm telling you, if you can do that in your younger years, that is a holy gift from God. Where you can begin to live for the long term where you begin to think like somebody that's heading towards retirement as someone in their 20s. Man, that's a valuable thing, where you begin to number your days in that way. And and in so doing, you're able to leverage much more of your life for the kingdom. So Father, right now, Lord, we just pray, God, that you'd give us the gift of the fear of the Lord. Lord, I'm asking you to do what words cannot do. Lord, that you would grip our heart and help us to realize that in a breath, our lives will be over and we will give account for what we did with what you gave us. Lord, help us to spend the remaining of our days of our lives wisely. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have this concept of time, and God instituted, instituted time. Time is built on the orbit of the planets. God instituted that, and so this is not some man-made concept. So we, we are able to slice up our lives, and it's not a coincidence that in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish people would enter into the new year with sobriety. So we entered into the Jewish New Year last week, and we have Yom Kippur this week, and these are serious times, and so there's this consecration that happens. We get a clean slate, and I have been feeling the Lord just impressing. Last week, I felt it so strong, and I know a number of you did, in the air, this thing of surrender, God inviting us in to deeper surrender, and I believe it's because there is a fresh season. When Pastor Adam preached while I was in Indonesia, he preached that message on new shoes. And the whole idea is that a new season demands new shoes. The old shoes of the, of the, the wilderness walking wear out. But when they came into the promised land, it was time for a new shoes. And I feel like there's a fresh season for the body of Christ. I don't believe it's just limited to Heartland. But I believe God is speaking to us that there's some things that are fresh that we're coming into. So what do we do when we enter into a new season? What do we do when we enter into new territory? There's all these analogies throughout Scripture 
As I was praying up in the balcony early this morning and even during worship, just all these analogies, I thought, Lord, you know, just, man, I can't write it all. These, all these analogies of, of people entering into a new season. One of the marks of a new season was always that consecration. Joshua came to the children of Israel and he said, listen, consecrate yourselves because they were getting ready to enter into the promised land. And that consecration, that, that fresh surrender for a new season, I really do believe that the new season is going to require of us a greater surrender. And it would be a tragedy to enter into the challenges and the opportunities of the new season not having allowed the Lord to deal with and prepare your heart. There's something about laying things down and just saying, God, you have your way. And I've felt this, this dealing of the Lord that he's looking to us for a greater surrender. There's things the Lord wants to put his finger on. And I want to caution you, it's not just evil things. Often our mind will go, we hear someone talk like that, and well, you know, man, I, I feel like my heart's clean. Some of you may be struggling with hidden sin. Let's get it right. Let's deal with those things. If there's anything in your heart that you don't want other people to know about, that's a good indication that God wants to put his finger on it. Sometimes those are events that happened in your past, and it's shame God wants to put his fingers on that because the enemy can use that to blackmail you. And if it's present activity, it's a good indication that there's, it's something you shouldn't be involved in. And God wants to deliver you. And in actuality, your freedom is in the light. It's when you bring that into the light of relationship with other people. And as long as you keep it in the dark, it holds on to you. There's an old saying that sin is a rare plant. It breeds in the dark. That as long as you keep it in the dark, it begins to grow its tentacles around you and begin to choke you out. But when you expose it to the light, it begins to lose its grip. Pride is the strength of sin, and pride grows in the dark. Humility weakens sin's grip on your life. And if you will find some people, not people who will coddle you, I'm not talking about people who are, you know, going to judge you and, and tell you what a terrible person you are. But I'm telling you, I'm, what I'm saying is you find some people that you can trust that will hold your feet to the fire, that love you enough to call you on your sin. When you find those people and you come clean, that is often the first major step in finding freedom. There were things in my life as a young man that I remember going to Christians that I highly respected and confessing. And when I fell into them again, or when I was tempted again, I remember having this conscious thought, I'm not doing that again because I, I've already made a commitment. I'm going to have to go tell that person, and it was too embarrassing. And so in doing that, it helped me to break the sin cycles in my life. And so, I want to encourage you. We are on the edge of some fresh things. I believe there's a crossing over. We're in this season. It's not a coincidence that this is the Jewish New Year. Usually, when I am fasting, 
on a 21-day fast. Usually the only 21-day fast I do during the year, I'm sorry, I'm not that spiritual. Uh, there's Occasionally I'll do them during the year, but usually it's at the beginning of the year. But the Lord led us to do one now, this year, and we're ending right at the Day of Atonement. We're crossing over. Jesus entered into his fast in transition. He went over water and then went on a fast and went from private relationship to public ministry. And that crossing over of water and a fast is very clearly an analogy for transitioning into new seasons in Scripture. You see it all over. Joshua and the children of Israel went over the River Jordan. Moses, they went from slavery into the wilderness over the Red Sea. And so there's this crossing over. But one of the reasons God calls us into these fasts before we move into new seasons is it's a way for God to access things in our heart. The Lord wants to get at some things. You remember when Jesus was fasting and the enemy came to him? And he said, why don't you make this stone into bread? And Jesus, was, it says, he fasted 40 days and then he was hungry. <laughs> the Bible is a master of understatement. <laughs> he was ready to eat that rock, let alone turn it into bread. And the enemy was enticing him. But what did Jesus do? He answered him with the word. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But Jesus didn't pull that out of thin air. He was quoting Deuteronomy. And it was in regards to the Exodus. It was talking. And in that passage it said, God led you, Israel, into the wilderness to make you hungry. So that you would know man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that ventures from the mouth of God. There's something about hunger that gets you in touch with some things. I'm a pretty easy guy to live with as long as you keep something in my mouth, as long as I get to eat. But you keep food from me for a few days and there's some things that I start feeling that I don't like and neither do others around me. God's getting after some things when we fast. He's accessing some things. I've told this story before, but years ago I read a great book by a young man named Bruce Olson. Spells his name the same way I do. I wish I was related to him. He's a hero of mine, but not that I know of. We're both from Minnesota, but that's where it ends. And Bruce Olson was a young 19-year-old Lutheran kid from Minnesota and had gotten saved, and God really gripped his heart, and he got a burden to be a missionary. He wanted to reach the natives of, on the Colombia-Venezuelan border. And so he went before a missions board, and they said, you need training, you need to get an education, you're too young, you know, give it some years, get prepared. And he said, okay, I'll just go on my own. Bought a ticket and flew into Colombia and just walked out in the jungle. Didn't go so well, initially. He got attacked by a tribe, was shot up with arrows and left for dead. <laughs> then another tribe found him. They drug him back to their, their village and they began to nurse him back to health over the months. And he began to minister to them. And, 
And uh, eventually, the end of the story is this whole village and the, all that tribe got saved and they went from living in huts and living in almost a prehistoric way to having their own universities and doctors and lawyers. And, and it's amazing. The kingdom of God came to them and elevated their lifestyle and, and uh, saved tribes all around them. But when he was initially wounded, they nursed him back to health. And after several months, he decided, I, I, I ought to kind of venture out of the jungle and probably call my parents and let them know I'm alive. And so he started to try to get out of the jungle and was having a hard time finding his way and no longer had the, the food from his hosts. And so finally, he, in exhaustion one day, he fell against a tree and fell into a deep sleep. And all of a sudden, he was awakened because he was gagging, felt something in his throat, was choking up something, grabs, reached his hand in his mouth and pulled out this long worm, just kept pulling, and this big worm comes out of his mouth and threw it away. And what he realized is that, that this is to prepare you for lunch, that, that he, was, he realized that this worm had been inside of him Ever since he arrived, because he had been eating food he'd never ate before, and as long as he fed the worm, it lied dormant. But when he, started, he ceased to feed the worm, then it began to climb up out of his throat and look for food. And when I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, that's me when I fast. There are things in me that lie dormant when I feed them. As long as I'm shoveling brisket and, you know, smoked ribs, and I'm already planning out my smoking regimen, by the way. It, uh, as long as I'm feeding that thing, I don't know those things are there. But when I start starving that stuff, and all of a sudden that dormant stuff comes to the surface looking to be fed. And it's a good opportunity for me to confront those things in our life. So it's not a coincidence you see the fast as a prerequisite to often enter into the new season in our life. Because God is trying to get after some things because the old us of the previous season is not up to the challenges of the new season. The new season requires a new us. An us that's more purified and, and God has dealt with those things in our life. And so God wants to deal with some things in our hearts. He wants to get at those things. And I want to encourage you. We're going to make some time at the end of the service. If there are things that God wants to deal with you on, some of you, you've been riding the fence. You love the move of God, but you also love some things that God doesn't love. And you come to church, and you dip your foot in, and then you find yourself falling back into that stuff because you haven't made war against it. And God wants you to choose today. I'm telling you, there's a fresh season that's going to require a fresh response of the people of God. And you don't want to get left behind. And so we're going to give you opportunity to deal with those things this morning. It's not, a, not an a time to shame anybody. It's a time for all of us to respond and say, God, I'm re-upping in a deeper way. I want you to have greater access to my heart, Lord. Enlist me in a deeper way. And so you see this, this thing of, of crossing over bodies of water. You see fasting uh, involved in these new seasons. And all of those things are intertwined where God is trying to get at some things in our life. 
This thing of crossing over a body of water. I, I stumbled into a podcast this week and this leader was telling of a, 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 a gathering they had for their movement. And I found it fascinating. Somebody had a vision of this, or I think someone had a dream. Someone in their movement had a dream and she shared it at their gathering. And the dream was that they were on this this large, you know, craft, uh, you know, from the Bible days where they had those oars and they would all, you know, row together. And they had gotten to the place in their journey and they couldn't, they couldn't get past where they were at. It was like the wind was coming and they were trying to, to row and the word of the Lord came and what it was is this, it's time to throw away your oars. You have gotten as far as you can by human effort. And the picture was that they literally had to throw their oars overboard and set the sail and catch the wind of the Spirit to get where they needed to go. And when they released that word, man, the power of God hit their, hit their meeting. They had their leaders from all over the nation, and all the nations rather. They were meeting in Rome that, that day and the power of God just came and they all went down under the fear of the Lord. But what was strange is as they shared that with the rest of their movement, a number of people in and outside their movement had had similar words about throwing away the oar and catching the wind of the Spirit. There's a principle in the book of Revelation that says, let he who has ears hear what the Spirit would say to the churches. And it's plural, churches. So whenever you hear a theme come from multiple movements, multiple people, you can rest assured God is speaking to his churches. It's beyond what he's saying to one group of churches or one individual church when you begin to hear a theme. And as they began to unpack this prophetic word God gave their movement, it was fascinating because different people from different movements were stunned when they heard about it because they said at the same time, around that same, within a few weeks, God was speaking the same thing to them. And so this leader began to unpack that analogy about how in Scripture there's pictures of oars. And he pulled out two pictures from the Bible of oars. The first one was where the disciples, Jesus told the disciples, he said, I'm gonna go across, you know, I'm gonna meet you on the other side. They're on the Sea of Galilee. You guys head over, I'm gonna be over in a while. And they started to go over and they got halfway over and a great storm stirred up. And they were, it says, Jesus looked from the hill and he saw them rowing against the wind. They were trying to, they were trying to make it across, but the wind was too strong. And so Jesus came to their boat and he settled the wind and he helped them get across. But their efforts, their, their, their own efforts to get there, rowing against the wind was insufficient. And the danger is that we think we're going to get where God wants us to go by our own human efforts. And often we can find ourselves rowing against the wind that God sends. God wants to, his people to catch the wind of his spirit. There's a superior way of getting across the water and that is by sail. 
Because once you set the sail, it can catch the wind and it can push you at a high rate of speed. But oars are dependent on human effort. And when this leader was releasing this to his movement, they knew that God was drawing a line in the sand saying, it's a new day for the movement. It's great what's been accomplished thus far, but it's going to take the wind of the Spirit to take you into the new season. And I found it fascinating as Pastor Adam and myself, as we've processed this and talked about his message and what I've been sensing that they were sensing a similar thing, that there's a new season. And I don't just, I don't believe it's merely for this church. I don't believe it's merely for that movement. Another analogy he brought up was in the, the book of Acts when Paul was shipwrecked. And it says a great wind came up and they had to begin to throw things overboard. They had to throw the oars, and finally they had to cut the anchor and let the wind drive them ashore. And I believe it's a picture of the body of Christ in this hour. I believe that we've come through a storm, but I don't believe we're done. I believe there are storms that are on the horizon, and who we were as a people, the American church is not prepared for what's coming. So it's going to take a new church and a new people. And the only way to get there is to throw ourselves before him and say, God, you've got to visit us. We want you to take the helm of the ship. We want you to blow us where you need us to be. We don't need to dictate to you. I don't need to be in control. You know, the last thing that they cut in, in Paul's ship was that, that oar that would steer them. And they literally had to cut that. And now they were at the full mercy of wherever the wind would blow them. And it blew them ashore and not one person died. And I believe that there are times coming in the near future that we're going to need to be a different people. And so God is mercifully saying, I'm inviting you to respond to me and to allow me to deal with things in your heart. I'm allowing you to get some things right so that you can be the people you need to be in the coming season. But again and again throughout Scripture, there were transition points. They knew the signs of the times and therefore they knew what they should do. And that transition of the time gave them clarity. And so God's inviting us to deal with our hearts. I believe that there are going to be opportunities before us that are going to be, have to be seized quickly. And so we need to be ready when the opportunities arrive. I believe that God is going to begin to move powerfully. And I'm even hesitant to say that because I don't want to create expectations. Well, if I do this, this will happen. We do this because it's right. We surrender to him and we say, Jesus, we're going to surrender to you because you're worthy. The best thing about him is not revival. The best thing about him is him. The best thing about Jesus is Jesus. And he's worthy of our, our worship and our utter surrender. But I'm telling you, God is dealing with us to bring us into some fresh things. He's preparing us for some fresh exploits and opportunities and I implore you this morning, let's lay ourselves before him and say, Jesus, 
I just want everything that you have for me. I'm going to invite the worship team. I don't know where they're at, uh, but I'm going to invite them to come back out. I want us to, I want to go back into that song this morning, He is Worthy. He is, is he worthy? Is he worthy? I want us to go back into that. We're going to sing that a few times, and then I want us to respond to the Lord. Because the Lord wants to deal with some things. Only God can make us into the people we need to be. I'm reminded of the verse where it says that when the Spirit of God came on King Saul, he became a different man. I don't know about you, but I've been telling the Lord, God, what I have is not enough. What I'm walking is not sufficient because the dreams you put within me are bigger than the anointing upon me. What you have put within me, the calling, the desires, the dreams, the vision that we have as a house is greater than the corporate anointing we now carry. And so God is going to have to baptize us afresh. And he is willing to do so. If we are hungry, if we'll position ourselves, if we'll ask him, God, give us your spirit. We need a fresh infilling, a fresh outpouring of your spirit. And so if we could sing that song, he is worthy. And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand. Holy Spirit, I'm asking right now, Lord, that you would do what my puny preaching cannot do that you would pierce our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Begin to deal with us. And Lord, I'm asking God that you would show each of us the areas of fresh surrender. Some of you, the Lord is gonna put his finger on your time. And he's gonna require greater amounts of time for you. Some of it is going to be purely devotional, purely intimacy. Some of you, it's going to be to put your hand to the plow and labor in the kingdom. God's going to require more of you in this season. And he's going to give you the grace to do so. Some of you, it's secret things in your heart. And he's wooing you and he's just telling you, I want that area of your life. I want to protect you from it. But if you don't respond to his protection then his only alternative is to allow you to suffer the consequences in the form of pain to turn you from that behavior. Allow him to touch you before he has to introduce the pain. But God is here this morning. He's here to harvest hearts afresh. He wants a fresh harvest in the field of our soul. Let's sing this to the Lord as a preparation time before we come before him in a fresh surrender. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.